0: Well, we're continuing in the the Gospel of Luke. I titled the sermon today, The Return of the King. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And uh, we find ourselves on the very uh, cusp of the triumphal entry. These are the final verses before we move into Jerusalem. And so uh, it's interesting how Jesus really sets up uh, that part of his Passion Week, really with these verses, and they prepare us for what about is about to come in the coming weeks let's start in verse 11 i titled this engaging expectations engaging expectations as they heard these things he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of god was to appear immediately okay so just think about this we left off last week with the rich man being saved and the blind beggar having sight, both men saved spiritually, powerfully. And the, uh, the, the, the build of anticipation of kingdom establishment is reaching a feverish a, a pace here. And uh, Passover week in Jerusalem is just around the corner. And Jesus, along with the throngs, are prepared to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem. It is a tremendous climb, even though it's only 16 miles, it's thousands of feet in elevation rise from 2,000 feet below sea level to a uh, thousand feet above, and so you're looking at a, a major hike. But really, it's something that uh, those faithful Jews would do all the time. This is part of their their tradition, their 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 festal journey to Jerusalem, and so there is this in. Incredible. Almost, you could almost just cut it with a knife. This is this kingdom uh, expectancy. Uh, We are going to Jerusalem, and this is the Messiah. So we conclude the kingdom is about to unfold right before our eyes. We're going to unseat the Romans. We're going to take Jerusalem. We're going to put our king on his throne, and he's going to rule in power. And we're going to watch him do. Look at what he just did over here. If he can restore a blind man, He can knock down the Romans. We're about to see the kingdom restored and the son of David on his throne. And Jesus begins to feel this. It's not just among his disciples who are arguing who's gonna be on right or left. It's among the larger group of followers and disciples that Jesus has. He picks up on this. They could never realize at this point what we know now that the kingdom he's been speaking about, it's not just local, it's global. It's not just ethnic Jews who are talking about experiencing the kingdom. It is the ends of the earth, a salvation far bigger than they ever imagined. It's not just temporal, it's eternal. This is a a, a kingdom that is eternal. And again, they, they just were thinking far too small. Now their thoughts were high, and, and far-reaching, we're going to overthrow the, the, the occupying force of Rome. That's, that's pretty incredible. But how about Satan and sin? Think of how much bigger the kingdom Jesus is moving to establish. They were thinking political. Jesus think, was thinking far more than political. No less than, but far more. Spiritual kingdom, establishment. To sit on the throne in the hearts and minds and souls of people and to reign as king and sovereign. He was trying to prepare his disciples for what would be a very difficult week. He knew what was coming and he was working hard to try to engage them and equip them at least in advance so that they could have a lot to think about and remember these words as they go through. But here's what's interesting, friends. Jesus is equipping us with these words as well. We're going to see how we find ourselves in this place. We are waiting for his return, the return of the king. And so these words are extremely applicable for us in our life during these days. Friends, these are unprecedented days. The unemployment has reached uh, a a, a point worse than the Great Depression as of uh, this weekend. Uh, We have uh, tracked numbers that are the worst in the recorded history of the United States. I mean, you hear these things on the news, and you're just like, okay, financially, this is is a a total mess. We have to have our feet firmly planted. We have to have our vision set. People need to know there is a king. There is sure, certain hope and salvation for all those who have set their hopes on riches and the idols of uh, the American dream, these things, friends, in the coming weeks, these are are going to be uh, put down in many ways. We need to be prepared as we think about Jesus' preparation of his disciples. Now, he's going to tell the parable of the ten minas, and uh, this is a fascinating thing that he does because in telling this parable, he's telling the story of redemption. I mean, his, his incarnation is just before this, right? He's, he's there. He's come as a man. And now his investment in his disciples. We're nearing the end of three years of teaching. He's entrusted to them what is going to be understood as the gospel, the good news. He's going to be rejected by his enemies. And they don't realize how keenly this will happen. They've seen it already. Opposition has been part of Jesus' ministry from day one, but it's about to get far worse than even they realize. And then the crowning as king, the finishing of his work, crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to sit at the right hand of the Father, to, give, uh, to, to receive the name that is above every name, right? The authority as king and savior. And then in between there, there we are, right there. So between the ascension and his return, here we are today. And he gives us a glimpse of what it's going to look like when he comes again. All of this in this little parable that we're going to study today. So there's so much in here. I'm excited to move through it little by little. Let's begin in verse 12. I call this investment and commission. Investment and commission, 12 and 13. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. Now, this is an interesting thing. First off, uh, Jesus speaks of a nobleman, and that is in in the parable that's Christ that is that's who he is here he is and and he's going off into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom so he is going to be recognized by one who is able to bestow his kingship over which he will reign and so he goes to receive this from the father as we see in Philippians 2 and then he's going to return So as he prepares to leave and accomplish his work, he he entrusts to his servants 10 minas and he picks 10 of them and he gives them each one mina. Now a a mina would be about three months wage. So we're talking of a, a, a small amount of money but a significant amount and they are to take that and employ it in their work while he is gone. Make good use of it. This is not their money. This is the master's money. It's given and entrusted for, for, for his glory, for his benefit, and for their service to the king, to the, the, the would-be, soon-to-be king. This is the commission. Engage in business until I come. What a fascinating thing he, he shares. You have work to do. There's work to do, friends. And while I am gone, I want you to be working. I've given you what you need to do the work. Now it's your job to go and do that work. Think about how this plays out. We, my friends, have been entrusted with the gospel. Every believer whose eyes are open to see Jesus as king, whose heart is changed to to bow before him, to adore him, to confess sin and run to him as Lord and Savior, has been entrusted with the gospel. We have the mina, as it were, of the gospel. And we have the great commission as well. Jesus is telling us the story, the plan, the work of his servants, his followers, his disciples. And here we find ourselves today with that mission still at hand. What do we do while we wait? Oh, friends, sometimes these days, I just wake up in the morning and I I look out over uh, the, 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 the back pasture and I just think, Lord, I'd love for you to come today. I, I would just love for you to come. Wouldn't it be awesome to see you face to face, to put an end to all of this, this mess that we're dealing with? What will that be like? Someday it's gonna happen. He's gonna come. He said he would. The the prophecies speak that he is, he's on his way, right? He will return. But while we wait, we work. There's work to be done. So we don't just go dig a bunker in the the mountains and and sell everything and just stand on the mountaintop and, and look at the sky. He says, I've given you the resources and I've commissioned you to go. Now, get to work. There's work to be done. And boy, we feel that, don't we? When we can't meet, your pastor especially feels this. There's work to be done. People who need to hear the gospel. And by God's grace, sooner than later, we're going to be back and these seats will be filled and the gospel will be proclaimed face to face because there's work to be done. While we wait, we're called to work. Now, In contrast to those servants who were given the resources and then put to work on the king's behalf, you have another group, verse 14, hatred and rejection. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, this is an interesting thing in the history of Israel, uh, there was a, a group of Idumeans referred to as the Herods. Herod the Great was probably the most renowned. Um, but he died just, uh, it was like 4 BC. So just before Jesus came on the scene, um, Herod the Great died and he had three sons. And one of his sons uh, assumed power over Judea. Uh, he was a brutal man. Uh, he uh, actually killed 3,000 Jews on Passover day in Jerusalem. And what's fascinating about how Jesus tells the story is he's, he's really building this story kind of to shadow what many of these disciples would have lived out. As they go up to Jerusalem for Passover, this is fresh in their minds still. This man had to travel to Caesar to receive his kingship, to be recognized as king, and then return from a far country. As he left, there was a delegation of Jews that hated him so much for what he had done. They too traveled to Rome to plead their case and say, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, we don't want to make the comparison too much. Obviously, Jesus is nothing like this evil Herod. However, the story plays out the same. There is a rejection of the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And there are many citizens who, 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 who say, in a sense, we will not serve this sovereign. We will not bow. We will not follow. We will not obey. He will not be our king. They have, in fact, rejected not just a nobleman, They have rejected the King of Kings. Friends, this happens every day. It happens every day. There are those who bow the knee before the King of Kings in Jesus Christ, and there are others who absolutely deny him. They detest him. They they would like to believe he doesn't exist, but more than that, they simply hate him. They hate him. Have you noticed the watershed moment when not just God in some nebulous term is used, but Jesus is named? Have you spotted that? It's it's not all that uncommon for people to talk about God, right? But here's what I'm waiting to hear when the words, king jesus come out when jesus the messiah jesus is the christ i'm trusting in jesus oh man you know if, if you if you have hopes of being on tv and you drop that into your after after uh, you know championship interview it's gone that doesn't come out it's very rare that they allow that to come jesus is the king of kings He is embraced by some. He is vehemently rejected by others. There is nothing new under the sun. It happens today. It will happen. It will will increasingly happen such that the, the, the vast majority of this planet will stand opposed to the king who owns them. He owns everybody. We all, friends, we are in his kingdom. This is his planet. We breathe his air. This is is his universe that he made. To reject the king is suicide. John records this in John chapter 3. He came to his own, that's Jesus, come to the Jews. And his own people did not receive him, John 1.11. And then in 3.19, he says this, this is the judgment, the light, that's Christ, has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the light to expose their evil deeds. They didn't want conviction. They didn't want repentance or forgiveness. And so they hide their face from the light of Christ. And they rail against him while they do it. Now, reckoning and reward. Oh, friends, we look forward to this, do we not? At the return of the king, there will be a reckoning and rewards for those who trust him and obey him. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. They're going to have to answer. How did it go? Give me an update. What did you do with what you were given? Friends, this is a reference to a very real event that will occur for every believer. It is the judgment seat of Christ. It's something that is coming for us. It's something that we need to be thinking about today as we worship. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be a day where every word we have spoken is weighed, where every opportunity we have taken or missed will be brought into the light. There will be a day when, when our accountability for what we have done with this great investment of the gospel that's been entrusted to us, this light that we have, that we're called to shine, we will answer. And there will be rewards, and there will be some wood, hay, and stubble, as Paul says, things that, that will last gold silver and precious stones and then over here there will be things that that may have looked good in the moment may have impressed people at the time and they will fizzle to nothingness because they were not done for the glory of the king they were not done in truth and righteousness there is a real significant thought process that must happen in the life of every believer Every day, how will I use this day to live with purpose and conviction? I mean, this is just on the heels of Zacchaeus saying, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will return it fourfold. That's kingdom talk. That's what Christian people think as they enter into the day. What can I do? How can I shine? How can I make the most of this day? even in the mundane, the ordinary, even in business? What can I do to take this business in a way and and to walk it out with integrity and steadiness and faithfulness in a way that pleases God? To treat my employees as Jesus would treat his servants, with respect and love and care. To see that there's something far bigger than the mighty dollar, right? All of us are called to live in such a way. And we will answer. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Now, just stop and ask this. Is Jesus uncertain about his authority or his kingship? He doesn't mince words about this. He makes it very clear. There will come a day when every single knee will bow before him. Every person who's ever lived on the face of this earth, at any point in time, will bow before Him. And every tongue shall confess God. Each of us will give an account of Himself to God. Now, some say, well, does that mean that everybody will be saved? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that everybody will acknowledge who their King is. Willingly or not. Those who hate Him they will bow before him. They will see him and they will wish that they had bent their knee while the door was still open and forgiveness was still offered. So the first of his servants came before the nobleman, now the king. And he said, Lord, now listen close to this. Listen now, he says, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. This is an incredibly humble way to report on his work. Think of this. It's not my mina. This is your mina. And look what you have done here. Look what your mina has accomplished. He's not coming in to say, check it out, right? Look at what this stockpile did. Check out the return I got on that. You know, I deserve. There's none of that. It is a humble response, filled with joy and excitement to to bring back to the king his investment. Look at the return. Look at what you've done. All these words, friends, we long for these words. The king said to him, Well done, good servant. Well done. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Think of the comparison, right? I took three months' wages and I brought back tenfold. Now, he says, you will rule with my authority over 10 cities. This is undeserved. It's lavish grace it's 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 a mind-blowing gift now we don't get lost in the in the specifics of all this the the goal of this parable is to show that there is reward that can be stored up and it can happen in this life friends decisions we make with what we've been entrusted will echo in eternity and that reward will never fade and it's going to be far more than we could ever even fathom in this life it may play into some of the millennial reign as we rule with christ we don't know what it all is going to look like but it's going to be stunning and it's going to be far more lavish than we would ever think would be coming kingdom rewards we are called to live this life with with a a, a, an eye to eternity to to leverage that which we have been entrusted with to make a difference in such a way that we will meet with reward from the King for His glory and for our eternal joy. Jesus regularly comes back. This should motivate us, right? This is motivation. It's not wrong to, to want to meet with reward from the King. It's good. He encourages it. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so this servant gives us an example. He is a fruitful servant and he is a faithful servant. Don't miss that. You were faithful with a very little and now you've been entrusted with a lot. A fruitful and faithful servant. Every Christian should see those two words and say, oh Lord, make that true of me, right? I long to be like that. Fruitful and faithful in the days that you assign The second came to the Lord and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Now, what do we take from this? Again, lavish reward, all of grace. This is an incredible gift that he gives to this, this faithful servant. But it's not the exact same gift. It's different, isn't it? And so we can understand this. In uh, our eternal experience, it will not be the same for everybody. There are degrees of rewards. There's a difference uh, of storing up. Now, no one will be short or lacking joy, but there will be a capacity that some have stored up that will be far greater than others. And it has to do with how we live this life, this short little life can either increase our capacity for reward or allow it to remain somewhat small. I often like to ponder what this moment will be like. No one will be jealous. There's no sin. We will simply celebrate with those who meet with reward in this way. I think we'll be surprised. I think there will be a number of widows uh, who, who, who have stored up through their prayers in private, in serving, in faithfulness. Tremendous reward. There may be some public figures that we would look to and expect to see, right, over a, a whole country and find out, in fact, their reward is far smaller. We are to serve the king, We are to look to him. We are to lay up reward. Now, reckoning and retribution. We move from the reward to the retribution. Verse 20, another came saying, Lord, here's your mina. I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because, well, you're a severe man you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. (laughs) Just You've got to feel these words. This is insane. I can't even fathom as this man would come before the king and say that to him. He's blaming the king. This man was entrusted with the exact same amount that all the others were. And instead of seeing that, that entrusted resource as valuable, as significant, and seeing the king and his respect and admiration for the king driving him to work hard while the king was away, he said, uh, eh, yeah, Mina, I got better things to do. He didn't even put it in the bank. He threw it in a handkerchief and stuffed it on a shelf. He was lazy. Careless. I mean, it could have gotten stolen. He did nothing with what he was given. Nothing. And then he has the gall to come before and instead of owning his total failure and laziness, he blames the king. He says of the king, you are a severe man, a very harsh man, and then he says you like to take the glory for things that other people should receive glory for I don't want to share my glory with you I I don't want to work and and, and make tenfold and then say look what your mina has accomplished I want to say look what I have accomplished I don't want to give that to you. you you reap what you did not sow in fact basically you steal from people. You steal. What gives you the right to come in and take what I've worked for? This is serious. I am hardly able to fathom when I read commentators who suggest that this man is saved. That, that, that This is not the kind of talk that a Christian who bows before the almighty King of Kings says to the King, right? This is not the sound of a saved, joyful, grace-filled person. This is the sound of someone who has no love for the King. Jesus responds, or the King in the parable responds, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant, or in other translations, worthless servant you knew that i was a severe man taking what i did not deposit and reaping what i did not sow why then did you not put my money in the bank and and at my coming i might have collected it with interest i mean if you if you believe this which he's not suggesting it is true but even if you did think it was true you should have at least put it in the bank right then it would have been safe and i could have gotten interest hmm Friends, this is the fake follower. We have the faithful follower, and now we have the, the fake follower. He is uh, the one who may be around church, maybe quite pious looking, who, who may have some verses memorized. He, he may know how to stand up and sit down. He may be quite impressive to others. But at the end of the day, his heart is cold to the king. He is not... Uh, enraptured with adoration and desire to love and serve and work for the glory of the king. He's a poser, a fraud, and he is revealed. There is no place to hide anymore. It may have worked well when he was kind of walking through the crowd. He may have impressed many. He may have advanced into leadership even, but no more There is no hiding before Jesus. He is unmasked. And the first thing he does is go back to Genesis 3. This is really your fault. This this wasn't my fault. This is your your fault. Hmm. There will come a day when Jesus will separate, the king will separate the wheat from the weeds. He will separate the sheep From the goats. That day is coming. Right now, they're allowed to to run together, they're allowed to grow up together, but there will be a day where they will be separated. The sheep will go this way into eternal bliss. The goats or the tares, the weeds, will be separated out and sent to the fire. Jesus loves us with these words of warning. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten. They, they said, Lord, he has ten minas. And the king responded, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, now what does he have not? He has not love for the king. He has not life in the king. He has not longing to glorify the king. He has no fruit-filled faithfulness of display of life and salvation. Even what he has, worldly possessions, life itself, will be taken away. A similar passage Jesus was teaching in Matthew uh, 25. Listen to this the similar landing point that he says and and where he goes at the end. Everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're talking about eternal consequences here. The fire is reserved for the fraud and the fake. So we have faithful followers, faithful servants. We have fake followers. Now a third category comes into view. Those who said, we will not let you reign over us. We don't want you. We reject you as our king. And the king addresses them. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's what he said. Is there any question about the authority of our king? Is there any uncertainty about how serious it is to bend the knee before this king? Friends, these who hated the king will die at his hand. And there will be a day. It's spoken of many times in Scripture when he will come and he has taken no prisoners. He comes and he will tread the winepress of the, of the wrath and fury of God. And blood will flow, friends. Blood will flow. And hell will be filled with the enemies of the King. Eternally. This is rebellion meeting retribution. There are people that I know whose hearts are hard. They're cold to the Lord. They hate the king. They hate anybody who loves the king. They're not interested in hearing about the gospel. They don't want to worship Jesus. They don't want to even think about those things. And my heart breaks for them. And we pray for them. Because unless the grace of God reaches down to turn their gaze and change their heart, they will meet with this end. Like every single enemy of the king will. It should break our heart when we hear enemies of the king. It should stir us to pray and long to see salvation reach them soon. Because there's hell to pay. Our response this morning: These are weighty things, friends. But they're also glorious. We've got three categories here, and I just want to say this: Everybody listening falls into one of these. Every single person, now listening online out here, you fall into one of these categories. I pray that it's the first. I pray that this morning you find yourself with your knee bowed before your king, your sovereign, your ruler, the Lord of your life. That your days are spent to to praise him, to obey him, to love him, to please him, to do his will, to take what he has entrusted and make the very most of it. I fear, even in a church our size, that there may be some who are fake followers. Maybe just here following a crowd. Maybe, maybe here pretending, standing and sitting. Friends, if you feel like this is you, there is hope for you today while there is still an open door. Turn and be real. Be honest. Acknowledge your sin. Confess it to Jesus the King and ask Him for His forgiveness. Ask Him to be the Lord and the King of your life, your sovereign, and you will be saved. But don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't harden your heart. Don't walk away and hate Him and become His enemy because there is only one certain future for those Turn their back on Jesus Christ, and it is death and hell forever. Let the words of these warnings reach your heart, your soul. By God's grace, Lord, please land this in souls even now and bring life. Bring life. Embrace the King. Embrace the King. Think of this we have a sovereign who is infinite in power, we have a King. Who is, who is limitless in authority and power. He reigns and rules. He owns everybody. And yet, he reaches out in love to the likes of us. And he says, come, all who are thirsty, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you drink and water. Water can flow from your soul and give you life and hope and purpose and forgiveness. Come. Oh, friends, sometimes consolidated power makes us long for a king like that. Sometimes when we get a little taste of the corrupting power of government or oversight, sometimes overreach, as we've experienced recently, it just makes me think of how... Glorious our king is. His power is unquestioned, but his love is great. And he says, come, come. Now, believers, we have been entrusted with the gospel. And I just want to close by calling us to this. This is, this is our moment, right? These short years that we have, they count It reminds me of that that gladiator quote. What we do in life echoes in eternity. It shapes our future reward. We have moments, opportunities. Each day provides new opportunities for us. What are we going to do with what we've been entrusted with? I'm so proud of Our church and and the people and the way you love one another, the way you shine, the way the Lord has used the the, the people of our congregation to reach out and, and grow even this church in number over the past number of years. But there's more work to be done while we wait for His return. He's coming. He's coming. May He find us faithful and fruitful. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we delight in the wisdom of your storytelling. This this parable is so rich with truth and, and imagery of kingdom work and it just makes us love you. What a king you are, Jesus. What a sovereign you are. You are the greatest ruler and we are your happy slaves. Your delighted servants bowing before you totally in awe of your love for us. That you would take upon yourself our sins and, and, and take that cross on our behalf to pay the wrath that we deserve and then be buried in the tomb that should have been ours and have victory over life, over death and, 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 and offer life in your name. I Thank you for saving me. I thank you for the salvation that is free, the gift that you gave. Jesus, we long for the days ahead when you return. We don't know when it's going to be, but we pray it soon. I pray that, Lord, you would make us, as we wait, make us fruitful. Help us to be tenacious in our pursuit of uh, reaching out and shining the light and and that gospel that we've been entrusted with. May it go forth from Good Shepherd Community Church with boldness and, and no hindrance. And Lord, find us faithful 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. Find us faithful, Father, as long as we have breath, May we make the most of you, our King. It's in your name we pray, amen.